Let me pray for the sermon here real quick, and then we'll get started. God, I just uh, pray uh, this morning that your word would just reign supreme and really meet us where we're at, um, that, um, that the meditations of my heart and the words that are spoken here today would just be really good and edifying and encouraging and challenging and convicting and yet all kind of draped in the love and the grace of your gospel. Um, I pray that as an imperfect messenger, um, that your perfect message would be what, what would be remembered today, that, um, that the messenger, in fact, would be totally forgotten, and the message would be the thing that kind of reigns in our, in our lives. And so just pray that over our church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're doing a series called Let the Future uh, begin. It's kind of a cross point vision. Who are we? Where are we wanting to go? And uh, so it's a three week series. We started it last week. And, and as I've always said, you know, I really have not 25 priorities for our people to be a part of, but really three priorities that we're really focused on and that really encapsulates where our vision is going to happen. And in this series, I'm communicating these three priorities in three ways. Number one, we want to celebrate. Jesus the single truth. And we want to celebrate Jesus in a way that where believers and unbelievers can understand the message and be blessed by that. We want to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we talked about that last week. And that includes our public worship service on Sunday mornings. Really coming together, celebrating Christ, and doing so in an evangelistic way, but not so much in an evangelistic way to where we're not also as believers growing together, but we are inviting the world to the feet of Jesus Christ in our worship services, in our time, in our place. And we want to reach as many people as we possibly can with this message. We want to, we want to invite people, come and see the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want our church, really see our churches growing in diversity, really see our churches growing in, in, in different generations and in different ethnic groups and in different economic categories. We want to see diversity grow at cross points. So what's the future look like? It looks like a multicolored kingdom that's about to come. It looks like a worshiping community in Jesus Christ. So that's the first priority is to celebrate Jesus. And then the second priority we have is to connect to community, that we really want our church to be a community church where you connect, uh, where relationships are developed. Uh, we want to connect, and, and that's a critical part of what we do. And then the third priority is we want to go in one way or the other. Uh, Jesus is calling you to help the church to go and make disciples. We want our people to pray, to send, and to go make disciples of all nations, both here locally and around the world. So celebrate, connect, go. That's, that's the idea. And so today we're really focusing on community. We're focusing on that second priority of connect to community. And what I'm going to do to make my job so much easier, I'm, I don't know about you, how many of y'all are always trying to make your job easier? Amen? All right? I want to, I'm going to make my job easier. You're like, I can't believe we pay this guy money. This is incredible. His job is so easy. But I'm actually going to take a message that I gave a few months ago to the men's breakfast group, and I'm going to apply that to our church uh, because it really plays into the importance of community and connecting to people. And so I want to talk about an idea kind of around the idea of accountability, okay? Accountability. This is such a hard word for us in our culture, actually practicing accountability in our life. Now, what is accountability? Accountability is giving permission to an individual or a group of people to question your life. That's accountability. It's giving permission to an individual or a group of people to question your life. And then it's your commitment to be 100% honest with that individual or group of people. Can I get an amen? So accountability is giving people permission to question your life. Now imagine that. We live in a postmodern culture and I can promise you that the, the key value in a postmodern culture is no accountability. 
In fact, I, I would say that, that I struggle with a postmodern mind frame. In my life, I've struggled with lacking two things, reason and accountability. You live in a world that lacks reason and accountability. But when you get into the world of Jesus Christ, when you get into a Jesus-following community, when you get under the Word of God, what you begin to hear God tell you is, no, 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 you need to give people permission to question your life. I've had to ask myself that question all the time. Is, am I giving people permission to question my life? When we talk about connecting to community biblically, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about accountability. Now think about it. Now just think about this for a moment. Because the thing is, is that Really, we all know, just in common grace, you don't have to know God or Jesus or the Bible. You just know through life that we do better when other people are watching us. We do better when other people are watching us. I remember one time I took Sherry to, to, to come with me to, to, to play golf. And man, I was, I mean, I was really trying to be impressive. Can I get a Hallelujah. I mean, it's a little different playing golf with Sherry than it is just another guy. You know what I mean? Because Sherry, it's Sherry, baby. You know what I mean? And I'm going to, I actually didn't play better that day, but I looked better trying to play. See, we do better when other people are watching. If you ever go to a gym and you watch a bunch of guys working out and lifting weights and then a, a girl walks into the room, you'll start hitting, hearing them grunt a little bit more. Can we be real? We do better when other people are watching. I hate going to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to run. I don't want to, I don't want to be healthy. I want to eat cookies in peace and seclusion for the rest of my life. But how do I stay in shape? I'll tell you how I stay in shape. Me and my daughter, we make a deal together. And we're like, hey, listen, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we're going to wake up at 5 in the morning, and we're going to go to the gym together. And when we make that pack, and when I know she's going to be at the bottom of those stairs... Guess who wakes up? I do, because I don't want to let her down. But those mornings when Ashley's like, I'm out, Dad. I've got too much doing. I'm sick. I don't feel good. And then I'm like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, even if she's just not there. And guess who doesn't wake up? We do better when other people are watching. And we expect accountability. We expect accountability in, in areas of our life. We, we're not surprised when we're held accountable when we don't pay our Ameren bill. We're not surprised when they call us or send a, a, a notice in the mail, hey, you're late on your payment. We're not surprised when we get charged an overdraft fee if we overdraw our account and our checking account. We don't get upset about that. But it's amazing that on least important issues, we don't care. But when it comes to the really important issues, we struggle with accountability. When it comes to the most important relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with our masculinity, our femininity, our relationship to our church or our marriage, it's amazing that when we get to these really important issues, we tend to hold back our life from accountability. When we come to scripture, God keeps telling us something. If you want to grow in the most important areas of your life, then you've got to get some other people watching you in those areas. You have to give people permission to question your life. It doesn't mean that you ask everybody to hold you accountable. It just means that you ask somebody to hold you accountable. It doesn't mean that you have to come to me and, and I question your life. I don't know you. I have no proximity to you. But do you have somebody in proximity to you that you've given permission to question your life? Are other people watching you in your development? Are other people watching you in your relationship with God? Are you giving permission to people to question you? You and I, we have to replace the lie of culture. And the lie of culture is that we can do life on our own. That's a lie. That is a lie. Within the church and within Christian circles, there's this kind of individualized, privatized spirituality that's also a lie. And the church is a community. 
The church is followers of Jesus, not doing a me and Jesus program, but doing a we and Jesus program. We do better when other people are watching. You say, why is that? Why, why, why does it have to be like that? And I, I think one of my favorite passages on community, just because it's so theologically rich as well as amazingly practical, comes from the book of Hebrews. And if you have a Bible, I've got the slides, but it's probably a sermon's best experience with your own Bible on a phone or a tablet. But grab your Bible if you have one and go to Hebrews chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, no big deal, we'll have slides for you. But Hebrews chapter 3, and when you come to the book of Hebrews, I love Hebrews. And when I was first learning the Bible, and it's been a long journey, I'm still learning the Bible. I'm still learning new things about the Bible. We'll learn about the Bible for the rest of eternity. But when I was first learning the Bible and a preacher said, turn to Hebrews, I always thought that was Old Testament, right? The reason why I thought it was Old Testament is because it's Hebrews. You know, you're like, well, that's Old Testament. That's got to be somewhere at the beginning, you know? And actually, Hebrews is in the, the New Testament, and, and I really like this book. And I like this book because the theological theme of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I like anything that has that as a theme, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is, he is the high priest. He is the, the great temple. Hebrews is a really hard book to study because it's got all these connections to the Old Testament. But if you understand that broad theme, that the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, do not forget the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What a great theme uh, to read uh, as you're reading through the book of Hebrews. But practically, practically, the book of Hebrews is, is, is a book that's written to Christians. And what's happening to these Christians that the book is written to is these Christians are drifting from their faith. They're being tempted to drift away from their worship and their allegiance to the supreme Jesus Christ. And the reason why they're drifting from their faith and they're tempted to drift from their faith is because they live in a culture that's persecuting Christianity. They live in a time that's, that's not believing in an absolute Christ. And, and as a result, Christians are being arrested and, and Christians are losing their jobs. And, and, and it's, it's, it's having an economic hardship on their lives to have a confession of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so like any human beings, and certainly we would be no different if we were living in that kind of situation, they were tempted to, to kind of at least water down their faith a little bit. They, they, were tempted to kind of, they were tempted to kind of take their faith and, and make it at least more accommodating so they could keep their jobs. That, that they could make it more accommodating so that they wouldn't get arrested. They could make it more accommodating so that they wouldn't have to go through the cultural hardships. And the writer of Hebrews says, the secret to living in a lost culture is not to accommodate your faith to culture, but to never forget the supremacy of Jesus Christ. To never forget the greatness of Jesus Christ. If you can have a vision of the massive, majestic Jesus Christ, then the world could bring hell and fire itself and you would still stand there because the vision of the supremacy of Jesus Christ would lead to perseverance. Woo! Woo, we're preaching now. You see, the secret to our faith is not what we get out of it. It's who we believe. The secret to Christianity is not what happens to us. It's who has happened to us. I am saved. Because the eternal son of God left heaven and came down to earth. The eternal son of God absorbed my sin in his body. The eternal son of God is risen and I'm a believer in him. Take away anything you want to from my life, but you can't take him away from my life. That's why the book of Hebrews starts telling Christians, go and visit your brothers in prison. Go and encourage them when they've been arrested for Jesus Christ. Risk being in prison yourself and go to prison and encourage them. Say, man, it's awesome that you got arrested for Jesus. It's awesome that you believed in Jesus and it's led to this hardship because he bore your sins. You see, the supremacy of Christ is the secret to our perseverance. 
But the application of this, how this works out, how we walk in a persevering faith in a culture that that is not about faith in Christ, how how you do that, the secret is community. And so every now and then the book of Hebrews keeps coming back to the issue of connect to community, connect to community, connect to community. Keep coming back to community. Don't give up on community. As Christians, you can't get through a culture like this with a faith in Jesus without community. The perseverance of faith is a community project, as John Piper liked to say. The perseverance of faith is a community project. The flow of the worship and the Spirit of God happens as we connect in community. As we give people permission to question our life spiritually. We give people permission to speak the word of God in our life. We give the pastor permission to elbow our lives with verses. Can I get an amen? We give people permission. Christianity is all about accountability. So we come to this passage. Let's look at this closer. Why? Let's get even more specific. That's kind of broadly why, but let let me get as specific as I can using this passage, Hebrews 3. Let me read this whole passage, verses 12 through 15, and then I'll make some applicational points. We do better when others are watching. Hebrews 3, verse 12. The writer says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now you can see in verse 13, there's your community. You see it? Hebrews got this all over the place. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That is both a willingness to hold accountable and giving permission to the church community to question your life. Exhort one another. Every day. So that you will not be led, away, led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, the big question with this passage is, this is the big question. And the big question is this, is when I believe in Jesus Christ and I consider myself saved and right with God because of faith, can I lose that salvation? That's a big question. This, this passage, you have to ask that question. And I believe that what this passage is saying is, no, you can't lose your salvation once you have it. However, this passage is teaching that the manifestation of a genuine beginning to your salvation is the perseverance of your salvation all the way to the end. We see that in verse 14. Look at verse 14 really carefully. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He says something similar up in verse uh, 6 of the same chapter. Let me just read it to you really quick. And we are of his house, if indeed... We hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, what's he saying? He's like, listen, anybody can say they have a beginning in Jesus. And anyone can have a religious experience that might be circled around Jesus Christ. Just like you can get excited about a concert and kind of have a moment of, of affection for, you know, I don't know, Led Zeppelin. You know, you get fired up and wear Led Zeppelin's t-shirt for two weeks or whatever. Why am I bringing up Led Zeppelin? I'm sorry. Bon Jovi. (laughs) 
right? You go to a Bon Jovi concert. They just got inducted into the Hall of Rock Hall of Fame. You go to a Bon Jovi concert and for like a month wear a Bon Jovi t-shirt and be all fired up about John Bon Jovi and he's the greatest thing ever, right? Well, people, that can happen to people religiously. You can go to a worship service or go to a church and get fired up about Jesus. Maybe even lift up your hands to Jesus, Maybe even have a moment of like, I really like this sermon stuff. I like this Bible stuff. But it, it's no different than going through a hobby phase. You know, well, I liked bow hunting for six months. Or, oh, I liked, you know, putting together car models for a year. Sherry can tell you, I get into things all the time. And then I start a project and I end a project. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Christianity can be a hobby. It can become a hobby to somebody and then they get to a point where because of the riches of life or because of the persecution or because of tribulation or because of sickness or because a Christian says something to them bad at church or because of a bad church experience, they can say, you know what? I'm bagging the Jesus thing. I'm moving on in my life. That's a sign that they had an emotional experience, but not a spirit experience, a a, a religious experience, but not a regenerational experience. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is so important, I think. He's saying, we have shared in Christ if, everybody say if, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see what I'm saying? The text is clear to me. If, that, and that doesn't mean, by the way, let me just qualify this. See, I'm getting all fired up, and then I overstate something. It's what preachers do. It's okay, I'm a professional. But here's the thing. It's not, it's not that we don't have seasons where we're not fired up about Jesus. I have seasons like that in my life. It's not that we don't have seasons where, where we're, we've kind of fallen back a few steps or we've fallen down, but there's always an anchor in our heart, even if it's the faith of a mustard seed, it's hanging on to Jesus with everything it has because it's rooted in rebirth, not, not rooted in entertainment, not rooted in ceremony, not rooted in show, but it's rooted in rebirth. And the reason why I'm still standing here, I promise you the reason why I'm still standing here today is because I've been born again by grace and not by works. I didn't make it to this place by works. I didn't make it to this place by being religious. I made it to this place because of grace. God has held on to me even when I haven't held on to God. He's holding on to me. And when I make it all the way to the end and you can come to my funeral and, and you, can, you can talk about, man, he had faith all the way up to the end. That'll be a manifestation that when I was 17 years old, I was born again. I believed in Jesus. But Christianity is not a one and done kind of experience. It's a lifetime of faith. I think that's important, don't you? It's not a shot in the arm, man. It's not, a, it's not a, a cup of medicine in a bad season of life. It's a person. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my Savior. And the Bible says to us, in fact, in Philippians, God promises that what he begins, he will finish. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, it is the grace of God that saves us. It's the grace of God that keeps us. And it's the grace of God that will get us all the way to the end. It is all the grace of God, not works. It's grace. You say, well, but how does that work with community being being the key to to perseverance of faith. You just said that the perseverance of faith is a community project. And and I think when we come back to Hebrews chapter 3, what we're seeing is God is communicating to us the stream of His grace. The flow of the means and the method of His grace. His grace to help us to persevere all the way to the end comes through community. His grace that that helps us to persevere all the way to the end comes through accountability of Christians connecting together. The perseverance of faith is a community project because because that's 
how God has decided in his wisdom. And we can ask him when we get into eternity why he chose community. But he chose community as the means of his grace. So why is it important that other people are watching our life? We do better when others are watching. Why? Because community is the power of God. Community is where the power of God is experienced. God's word spoken to us through community. God's word shared in community. The Christian gospel celebrated together in community. This is how the Holy Spirit works in our life. This is how he changes us and shapes us and sanctifies us and helps us to grow. The power of God happens in community. Now, I mean, we could talk for a while. See, it's 9.50. We could talk for a while while about why God has has chosen uh, community to be the means and the method of of his power. I think it's to reflect his glory because God himself is community. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three persons. When, when it says in Genesis that Adam was created, God said, let us create man in our image. He didn't say, let me create man in our image or in my image. He said, let us create uh, man in our image. We were created by the us God, and therefore he is going to work through an us people, not a me people, not an I people, but an us people, because it reflects who he is. God is love. Think about it, though. The one thing that's always existed in eternity, the one thing that has no beginning and will have no end is love because God is love. And it is love that is to be reflected in community. That's why he says here in verse 12, take care, brothers, Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Where do you hear his voice where do you hear his voice you hear it in community you hear it in the exhortation of the Christian community you hear it in the preaching of the word you hear it in life group when you're praying over each other you hear it in life group when you're sharing uh, 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 profound thoughts about an unprofound sermon can I get an amen you see see you, you you as you exhort one another the voice of God works through the exhortation of Christian community that's why Jesus when he was about to be betrayed and died and John chapters 14 through 16 he kept telling them remember what he kept saying to his disciples love one another love one another he kept saying Love one another. He kept saying it. They were like, he's been talking about loving one another for like two hours tonight. What is his deal? Love one another. The world will know me by your love for each other. The world will see something different when you love one another. And then in that same discourse, he gives the most profound statements about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and be your helper. The Holy Spirit will be your counselor. The Holy Spirit will come and do powerful things in your life. How do we become spirit-filled Christians? How do we really get impacted by the Spirit of God? What's the real sign of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Love, community. That's how the Spirit works. We, we Americans, we've taken the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and we've got, we want to go up on a mountain all by ourselves and we want the Holy Spirit to take our head and do, you know, make it spin around 20 times. And Jesus said, no, a spirit-filled, wonderful life happens in community. A commitment to and a connection with community. We do better when others are watching. Because it's power from God. Ephesians 
talks about this. One of the greatest, one of my favorite passages on being filled with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful help we have with the Holy Spirit. When he says in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 and following, the Apostle Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another. Addressing one another. Addressing one another. Addressing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to your heart. uh, To the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey man, you want to stop being influenced by wine to get drunk and be stumbling all over the place. And as opposed to being influenced by wine, let's, let's be influenced by the Spirit where he gives us sobriety of thought. Can I get an amen? He gives us sobriety of, of, of outlook. He gives us sobriety of worldview. He gives us sobriety of power and influence and help from the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. How? Addressing one another. Addressing one another. There's no magic here. This is not a a magic trick. The Holy Spirit's not, not some kind of magic trick that happens to people's lives. The Holy Spirit is experienced as people submit to one another in love. The Holy Spirit is experienced as as we give people permission to question our life according to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't give people permission to do that, then guess who's not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Me. You. See? You have to connect to community. We do better when others are watching, especially in the church, especially in the church. That's the first reason. Not only the power of God is influenced and impacting our life and community and accountability, but the second thing is, is that community is a mirror. Everybody say mirror. It's a mirror. It's a mirror for our own self-awareness. What a sobering passage this is when we come back to it. Hebrews Three, he says in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The, the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I just thought about this in my life. The deceitfulness, what is sin? Sin is different than making a mistake because sin is intentionally a word about our relationship with God. Sin is our rebellion against God. Now, when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven of all of our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of our life, but we still have a battle between flesh and spirit. Sin is still deceitful. And pre-Christian life and post-Christian life, here's what happens with sin. The deceitfulness of sin means that sin, especially at first, doesn't feel like sin. It doesn't feel like a problem. It's deceitful. Sin doesn't come into our life and say, I am going to destroy your life. <laughs> you know? like, like sin is, we're tempted to sin. Sin is deceitful. And not only is, are things deceitful to us, but we deceive ourselves because we think we're more in control than we are. We think we got everything handled. I mean, I don't. I'm really humble, but... Right? I'm deceitful about my own pride, my, my own ability to sit on the throne of my life. I'm, I'm deceitful to myself about myself. I've got this. I don't need the God thing or I don't, I don't need help. I've, I've got this. But actually, I don't. Community is a mirror because community gives us the opportunity to see ourselves as we really are. Not as we are in our own head. I'm a legend in my own mind. 
I've convinced myself that I see things exactly right. But actually, as soon as I get into community and I give people permission to question me, I begin to see that I'm maybe not seeing things exactly as they should be seen. Community is a mirror. You need a tape recording. Not that we do that anymore, but you need a tape recording to hear how you really sound, right? Or how many of you, you look in the mirror, right? You look in the mirror in the morning and you go, hey man, it looks, looks pretty good. You know what I mean? But then somebody shows you a video of yourself, right? How many of you get the video? You know, somebody posts something on Facebook with you on there and you're like, what? You see, we think we see ourselves, but we don't. Emotionally, spiritually, practically, professionally. We have blind spots. We have strengths. We have weaknesses. But those strengths need to be confirmed as do the weaknesses and blind spots need to be confirmed. You don't know how your house smells until somebody tells you how your house smells. Amen. And your life, the way God made us is, really it doesn't matter how many videos we have or how many pictures or how many reflections or how many mirrors we see ourselves in. God has made our life to where it is not good for man to be alone. We have to have somebody actually tell us what we are really doing, what, how we really sound, what's really happening in our life. Because sin is deceitful. And pride is deceitful. I have to have somebody tell me where I'm at. You know, I, th- I just think about it and I think, you know, there are parts, I mean, here's, here's the truth. There are parts of me that God cannot use. And there are parts of you that God can't use. There are parts that need to be chipped You need to be shaped, and so do I. And my culture tells me, oh no, every part of you is good. What a bunch of poppycock. Not every part of me is good. I have to have people tell me about my blind spots, about my life. I've got to give them permission. But can I tell you, you are made in the image of God and God has put seeds in you which will bear much fruit. There's stuff that, that, that God wants to pull out of you that will influence other people, that will bless people's lives. Gifts and talents and experiences and confidence that's rooted in humility and it, it just needs to be pulled out of you and the garden and the soil where that fruit will be born is in community. Where that fruitfulness is going to come, where the weeds are going to be taken out and the fruit is going to come out, is going to come in the soil of community. Where we're leaving the deceitfulness of sin, we're leaving the temptation, we're leaving our own ideas about God and life, and we're, we're submitting to the Word of God, and then we're seeing something come out of us through the Spirit and in community. We do better when other people are watching because community is a mirror. And community is where God's power is given. And then finally, community is how we struggle through. We struggle through. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14, for we have come to share We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end as it is written today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, the struggle. Here's the truth. This this passage is so hardcore, especially in a real world. See, we have this ideal life that God has called us to, but we have the realities of our daily existence. And, and the chasm that exists between the ideal and the realities, is, it can be pretty large. At, at Crosspoint, we joke around, we call it the, the poetry of God and the plumbing of life. And, and the reality is, is that as we come to church and we hear these great theological sermons, can I get an amen? Great theological sermons. He's so profound, even though he sounds like a hick, right? It, like, 
like we hear sermons at church and we sing these songs and we raise our hands, but we're going out into the parking lot and the living rooms and the job places of reality. Life is a struggle. These Christians are really struggling. And there's a part of me that's like, man, where's the compassion? I mean, when you're losing your job because you're a Christian, you're being put into jail because you're a Christian, you're, you're living in a culture that hates God, man. I mean, on top of just regular experiences of sickness or loss or grief. The Israelites, he's referring to the Israelites, the old Hebrews, when they were coming out of slavery in Egypt, but they, they left slavery to go into a wilderness. And they had nothing to eat and they had no water. And as a result of not, not purposing afresh in their hearts to encourage one another, Yahweh has set us free. Even though we're in this wilderness, we don't know where our next cup of water is going to come from. We're no longer in slavery but because they, they were struggling so much, they rebelled against God and his promises because of the struggle, because life is a struggle. And God never comes to us, never. Everybody say never. He never comes to us and says, I'm going to take all your struggles away. He never comes to us and says, you're never going to be sick again. He never comes to us and says, you're never going to be poor. He doesn't come to us Christians and say, well, if you'll just preach Jesus, then culture will turn around and everything's going to go great and people are going to love virtue again. He never promises that. In fact, I would be willing to prophetically say that things are going to get worse before they get better in culture or anywhere else. And dare I say that some of your lives are not going to be better next Sunday than they are today. Some of you are going to lose your job. Some of you are going to find out from the doctor that you don't have very much longer to live. Some of you are going to lose a loved one or a brother or a wife or a child. Life is a struggle. It's a struggle. And it's stupid for any Christian church to pretend like that Jesus is some kind of magic wand that's going to take your struggle away. Now what God promises is he promises that as we come together... As we pray together, as we share the word of God together, that we will persevere, that we will make it, even through pain. And God might not take the storm away on the outside, but he can take it away on the inside as you commit to one another. And as you connect. Now, I know you struggle, and I struggle, and they struggled. And the writer of Hebrews says there is something powerful happening. God is more proven in our limitations than in our successes because he's proven that in our limitations we persevere. That's the glory of God. That is the optic of the cross. That is the pattern of the chaos of crucifixion and burial before the resurrection. We must suffer because if we didn't, wouldn't we hold on to this life way too much? You see, we do better when other people are watching. Why? Because we struggle together. And when we can struggle good, I mean really good. I mean when we can struggle good. When we can struggle in a way that glorifies God, then other people will be drawn into. Because let me tell you something. People are no longer able to go to funerals anymore in our culture because they don't know God. They're no longer able to go to weddings anymore that, 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 that equals a marriage that lasts forever because they don't know God. They don't know how to struggle. And we're supposed to. Not that I do. That's what this text is telling me. We do better when other people are watching because... When other people are in our life, that's where the power of God is delivered. When other people are in our life, that's where I see a real reflection of myself, not just what my mama told me. When, when we get together, that's when we can struggle together. We struggle together. Now, that's my introduction. Here's my sermon. Why? Do we not connect to community? Let me give you a few reasons why people, even though they know this, they still struggle 
to connect with community. Why do we struggle to connect with community? Let me give you a few ideas. Number one, we struggle because we've been burned. Everybody say burned. A lot of people have been burned by community, family community. Moms and dads have burned them. We're living in a culture where people have been betrayed by community, and it feels safer to not risk it anymore. I'm not going to risk it anymore. Some people have been hurt by churches, burned by churches. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've been burned by a church, but probably there's not too many of us who have not been burned by the church or by people in the church. And so especially when it comes to church community, we think, man, I've been burned. But can I tell you that this text is so powerful that it's worth to continue to risk being burned. It's worth the risk. And just because you go to Olive Garden and they give you some burnt, you know, those, you know, those breadsticks that they have at Olive Garden. Do you all know about Olive Garden breadsticks? They're they're good. But if they bring you a, a basket of burnt breadsticks and you get the worst service in your life, that doesn't mean that you're going to forsake Italian food for the rest of your life. Can I get an amen? One bad experience or even several bad experiences at several different Italian food restaurants is not going to change your love to finally find, I am going to search for the Italian food restaurant that will get me some good service and some good Italian food. You're gonna keep going because Italian food is that good and God is that good and Jesus is that good and Jesus was betrayed He was betrayed by his inner circle so he can help you when you've been burned. He knows what that's about. He knows the hurt and the abuse. And he helps his followers. He guides his sheep through it. His voice is good. The other reason, though, why we don't connect to community, I think this is probably more my issue in life, is just pride. Just just stupid, hell-foolish pride. I, I don't know why. I've talked to Sherry about this. I talk to people about this. I'm really good at knowing people, but I'm not very good at allowing other people know me. I'm private. I hold people off. I hold people at a distance. I have no idea where that's born. I think it might be, I hate to admit it, but it might be just Pride. And I don't want other people to see weaknesses in my life. And I don't want other people to see that, that, you know, I really don't have it totally together. And sometimes we get like that. You got to let people know who you are, even in your weakness. We do better when other people are watching. And I've got to keep working on it. And so do you. And as Americans, in this culture, this is something we spend a lifetime working on is genuine community and friendship and connecting deeper than the superficial level, it takes some of us a lifetime to finally get that part down. We do better when other people are watching. So what do we do? Now, you all know, if you've been coming across one, you know, this is the life group sermon. Y'all, how many of y'all know that? This is the life group sermon. That's what this is. You're like, why did he go through all that Hebrews? So I could tell you, go to life group. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. Let's pray. No, I'm trying. No, but can I just say to you that our vision is that more people will celebrate Jesus and more people will experience community, vulnerable community together. And these issues are not destinations. It's not like I'm saying, oh, if you come to church on Sunday and then you go to life group, your life will never be the same. No, no, no. These are like, it's like, it's like going to streams. They're not destinations. They're directions. You come to church to worship Jesus in the hope that you'll worship Jesus every day of your life. And you go to life group to start connecting to people so that you can find friends, so that, so that you can cultivate things that are going to happen outside of your life group. Life group is not a destination. Church on Sunday morning is not a destination. It's a direction. It's a step. It doesn't hold all of this. Life group, you're, you're going to go to your life group, and it's not going to hold all of this in it. But it's going to give you a platform to meet other people. It's going to give you a platform to maybe, for some of you, it might just be a vulnerable step in your life that leads to other vulnerable steps. It's a step. We pray together. We read scripture. It's imperfect. It's awkward sometimes. But we meet in homes. We eat together. Some of our life groups eat like little snacks. Some of our life groups break like a whole like meal together. But you connect. You connect. For some of you, it might be 
not just a life group application, but you just you need a counselor in your life to help you walk through some past issues in your life biblically. Go to a counselor. You might need a coach in your life. You might need a mentor in your life. You might need a new confidant to just air out your problems. I've got confidants in my life where I, I just go to them and just unload on them. They hear the real story. You have somebody who hears the real story. When my brother passed away at Thanksgiving. This was, this was a big thing for me. Accountability, getting people in my life. I don't know why, just this big issue in my life. And it was like, God was like, Joshua, if you do not get some mentors and some coaches and some people in your life that you trust, not only is this thing not gonna go better, it's gonna start getting worse for you. So I had to reach out to an old mentor in Oklahoma and talk to him on the phone once a month. I had to start reaching out to other pastors. I had to start doing things I was uncomfortable doing. I now get together with a group of pastors once a month, which I've never really liked getting together with pastors, not because I don't like pastors, but because we all talk too much. (laughs) And we all want to pray. We all want to sound like the most profound theological person in the room. So we're all like, well, let me one-up you on that theological perspective. It's like, I do this. I'm not blaming them. It's what I do. I'm like, well, I can talk about sanctification better than that. You know, like, but man, just getting together with other pastors and sharing burdens and saying, yeah, man, my church, we struggle with that too. Or God's doing this in our church. And I start celebrating the good stuff. And I start, I start unloading the, the stuff that, I, that I'm discouraged about. And what ends up happening is I get better because other people are watching I don't take myself so seriously anymore. I'm not tight gripping my identity or my authenticity. I'm loose gripping my life more because I got more people in my life, but it's really hard for me. And I bet it's really hard for you. But you just got to take these crazy little steps like I'm going to go to a life group or I'm going to call up Sue because she's been on my mind and I feel like that she might be somebody who's who's more experienced than I am and can help me get through this season of my life, but you got to open up, man. We do better when other people are watching and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to God's people, his people. There's a God and he has a people and that people is the hope of the world. And as we get together, we experience that hope. I've talked too long, let's pray. God, thank you for community. Thank you for the opportunity to be adopted into your family. And um, God, you're not a grandfather to anybody, but you're the father to billions of adopted children. And you adopt us with the gift of your son Jesus and you bring us into your family and fill us with your spirit and we get to walk through a world of tribulation with faith, hope, and love. Thank you for that, God. We do pray for healing. We pray that bad circumstances would go away. We give our request to you. We want to we wanna live in days of peace. We want to live in days of prosperity. We want to live in days where things fall into place for us so that we can glorify you with that. But God, when you call us to go through struggle, help us with your grace to be vulnerable in community so we can persevere with that struggle with a faith that's intact, with a faith that perseveres. We love you, but we know that Our love for you is nothing compared to your first love for us. So show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen.